You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Okay, so tonight I can't I can't promise that this won't be another pre-sermon to Sunday sermon because uh, I already feel it building building in my in my head and my heart um, as I was just sitting there getting ready for it um, this evening. But I was, the Lord's been, and I've said this before, the Lord has processed me. He has, he has set me down. He has, he has revealed things to me that are not correct, that are not good in me, that need changing for the season that we find ourselves in. And normally he brings these words, and they're true for me, before I can bring them to you. And this is something that uh, the Lord, this, this word is the same thing. It's something, I, a, a routine of thinking, a way of thinking about myself that I found myself in. And it's going to be very easy. The Lord just showed that to me this morning. It's going to be very easy for us in this time that the Lord has called us into to slip into this way of thinking. And so we'll start with, this fact that there is, there is a trap that the enemy has waiting for us as we begin to serve our community. As we begin to look at this community as friends, just as Jesus looked at us as friends, we've talked about this in length, we cannot expect our community to look at us in the same light. It's important to recognize that just because Jesus has called us to kindness and, and to establish His kingdom through kindness, and just because He has called us to be a friend to our community, we have to recognize that that is a choice that we are making just as Jesus is making. That was the commandment He gave us. Love one another as I have first loved you. Right? We can look real quick. I'm just going to read it so that you can just listen, but we've read this uh, several times. Oh, man. Blocked it off. Marked the wrong page. There we go. John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. He did not, we did not choose him, he chose us. And he chose to be friends. But where in this, and then also in John 13, 34 through 35, that's where Jesus says, love one another as I first loved you. Where in there does it say, I have called you a friend and you have been a friend in return? Where does Jesus ever talk about them being a friend back to him? Where actually in the Bible anywhere do we see an example of them being a friend to Jesus? We see them following Jesus. We see them viewing him as as their master and, and following and obeying until push comes to shove and then they scatter and they're gone. We see an outburst from Peter cuts the ear off the guard, but that's really as close as we get before Jesus is crucified, and, and they, they mourn him. But where in this, I mean, 
A perfect example is Jesus asked them to watch with him, to pray with him before he was taken to the cross. And he's, he's crying tears of blood. He's so terrified of what he knows is to come. And they fell asleep twice when he asked, will you stay and pray with me? Knowing that the time, they didn't know what was coming to an end, but they knew that his time was coming to an end because he had told them. They couldn't even do that. But Jesus still, to the point of the cross, chose to be their friend. Being a friend is a choice. Turn with me to Luke 15. This is, again, a very popular passage, but the Lord just revealed something to me. And it's important for us to recognize that He's going to continue to reveal things to us from these passages where vision of the time that we find ourselves in have come from. He's called us to be the Father running to meet the prodigal sons and daughters seeking to return home. So there will always be lessons and new teachings within this passage for us as we go further into this time that He's called us into. So if you look, chapter 15, verse 11. There was a young man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country where he squandered his property in reckless living. Now in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate and eat. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So do you think in this, in this parable that the father suddenly looked at his son with this love that he embraced him with as he came back? Or did that love always exist? I, I, it's pretty confident that it was always there. Always there. And so even as the son comes and spits in the father's face, telling him, you give me what is mine. Just because I share your last name, I have an entitlement to things that you have. And he's going, he's going to then take his father's property. His father didn't have to give him, but he gave it to him. He's going to go and squander it. And then he's going to come back and he's still going to be met with this love and compassion. This choice that the father made that I will view my son for who I know he is meant to be, not for the things that he has done or done to me. Prime example. He is a friend, and that's what Jesus was for us. Jesus viewed us, even though he knew Peter would deny him, even though he knew Judas would portray him, even though he knew each one of us in here would sin against him, being given this gift of life, being given the Holy Spirit, knowing how, how simple it is to just walk in the Spirit, but still, on a daily basis, we will refuse in moments to walk in the Spirit. Knowing that, he chose to be our friend to the point of death, knowing that he would not receive the same in return. It's important for us to recognize. Jesus did the same thing that we see the Father do here. He saw us 
for who God created us to be. And he died so that we could realize who God created us to be. No matter what the cost to him personally, he would not waver from being a friend and he would not waver from viewing us the way God viewed us. He would not waver. And that was his motivation. That was his focal point. That was his North Star. I will not waver from that until they know who they have been called to be. I will, they will see nothing in me but a friend towards them so that they know and can realize one day who God has called them to be, who God has created them to be. And we can't, as a church, as a body, we cannot expect people to know what they don't know. We can't expect people who we choose to be friends to the Good Samaritan, it was a choice for him to go down in the ditch. It is a choice. When we see these moments for kindness and where kindness is needed, it is a choice on our behalf to intervene. It is a choice that we get to make. It's an honor to get that choice. We get to make that choice in that moment to be a friend. But we have to recognize that we cannot expect the people who we choose to be friends to to then all of, all of a sudden turn around and see us for who God has created us to be. To see our value if they cannot even see their own. They, they can't know what they don't know. How, how could they in a moment look at you for who God has created you to be and see the identity, see the peace of the Father's heart in you and understand it just because you were kind to them in a moment, that moment hasn't brought all the revelation that you have been afforded all this time. That moment opens the door, and we know that. But that moment doesn't break down every single stronghold that exists in their story that has established itself over them and calls them worthless and calls them stupid and calls them and lets them know that you will only be valued if you make a lot of money. You will only be valued if you talk down to people. You will only be seen as worthy if you do this or do that or do that. That stuff just doesn't go away because we choose to be their friend in a moment. And so we can't hold a standard over them that they have no ability to meet. Because they do not have the spirit that we get to walk with. They do not have the spirit that led us to their door. But that's why the spirit led us to their door. But the trap that sits and waits is your discouragement because they do not treat you and they do not view you and they do not value you in the way that you treat, see, and value them. But they cannot know what they do not know. And so there's a trap there because very quickly, it is very, very easy for you to all of a sudden become, you, can, you become overwhelmed with this feeling of worthlessness, disrespect, uh, just you can feel so small before these people. And you may be small to these people. No matter what you do, they're going to view you the way they view themselves. They can't not view you in the truth of who God has created you to be if they cannot see themselves in the truth of who God has created them to be. They will look at you through the same lens they look at themselves. And if it's a broken lens, it does not all of a sudden become fixed when they look at you. It almost becomes more foggy. 
Because now you're holding up the standard of who Jesus has called us to be, and they're beginning to recognize how they don't meet that. And so you may even get more aggressive attacks against you. You may get this, this feeling of even more worthless and, and, and viewed as even, even farther, uh, even, even more less than, uh, than you felt before. And you're there and you're, you're working for their benefit. You, you are seeing opportunities for kindness and you're running to it. You're interceding on their behalf. You're doing absolutely everything you can to love them and to show them who God has created them to be. But you cannot expect, if we choose to be a friend, you cannot expect for them to turn around and choose to be a friend back. We know the standard of Jesus. We walk with Him. But we have the Spirit of God. And if they do not, they cannot look at us the same way we get to look at them. But there is a trap there. (coughs) Excuse me. There is a trap there to try to do everything it can to discourage you from continuing to invest your time into their story. To, con- to discourage you from desiring to see need and fill that need. To discourage you from seeing an opportunity for the kindness of God to exist in a story and run to it. To try to keep you in your car when you drive by seeing someone... An- an older lady that can't, can't get her groceries in, or uh, to discourage you from seeing, seeing somebody on the side of the road trying to change their tire and stopping to help them, or discourage you from seeing someone that won't ask for help but clearly needs it, and, and you have an ability to go and, and meet that need. It will discourage you. It will try to do everything it can to keep you still, keep you in your place, keep you away from engaging with them, Because when you begin to engage with them, kindness is the door. Kindness is what opens the door. Kindness is what gets you in the house. But what gets you to stay is continuing to be a friend, continuing to choose to be a friend, regardless of circumstance, regardless of the way you're treated. Choosing to be a friend to the point of death. If Jesus is perfect theology, then we cannot argue with the fact that he called us friends and he called us friends to the point of death Because it would benefit us if he died. That's the standard that we get. If you want to know how you should treat those around you that persecute you and afflict you, there's your standard to death. To your last breath, you should choose to be their friend. You should choose to pour out your life for their benefit. Because that's how Jesus first loved us. And that's how he's called us to love them. But I just wanted to warn us that we cannot expect that in return. It's very easy to expect that in return. It's, it's a very easy thing for me. I grew up in a military household. So one, you've got to earn respect. And if you want respect, you better, you better earn it. But once you give it and you know who you're supposed to give it to, it's okay to expect that, that respect in return. I respected my father for who he was and what he did for us. And I knew that there was a standard that I had to meet, but I knew if I was meeting that standard, I expected his respect in return. That's a dangerous road. That's a dangerous road. 
Because what's that doing now is I'm viewing this rest of the world. This is the standard that has been set before me, and I've met it. So you all better respect me. And if you don't, I don't want anything to do with you. Just that simple. But what does that lead to? What, what did we talk about? What does the enemy try desperately to do? He tries to isolate us, get us alone. So if I don't feel that I'm getting the respect I deserve because of a standard that you do not know, because you were not raised in my household, if I do not believe that respect is, is being given to me and I cut you off, it's one more member of the body that is no longer a part of my story. I'm, I'm not hurting you, I'm hurting me. Because I'm just slowly severing every tie to the body of Christ that would allow me to be fully who God has created me to be. And then as I'm looking at you thinking, man, you're not, you're not being who God created you to be. I'm actually the one that's off on this island by, him, by himself, not being who God has created me to be. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 13. We're gonna, this is speed round time. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And then Romans, or no, yeah, Romans 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. I love that because it's important for us to recognize that if we are, and this is just the way my mind works. I'm a, I'm a visual person, and so the Lord knows that. and That's how He speaks to me, is visually things that I can tangibly understand. Um, and so the way I understand the body of Christ is literally the body. I know, and I've talked about this before, but I know that this finger cannot bend without this forearm. It doesn't originate up here. It doesn't originate right here. It's not in my fingertip that starts movement. It starts way up here. You can see it moving. You can do this, right? That was fun when we were in class and we were bored. We'd mess with our forearms and try to get it because we didn't want to do math anymore. But that, that happened up here. But that doesn't happen if I don't have a brain. And that brain is useless without a spinal cord and, and nerves that are sending these messages like that. I mean, there's so much that has to happen for me to do this. That's a miracle. Scientifically, that's insane. It's unexplainable how that could just happen. That's a very minimal thing, right? But the entire arm, brain, everything allows that little finger to operate in the fullness of what it was created to operate for, right? So do we. We are the same way. If I am a finger and Shorty's a forearm, I need him to unlock the potential of who God has created me to be in the fullness of who I've been created to be. And without him, that is not realized. It does not happen. We are members one of another. Those that are saved and those that are not. Those that have not been saved yet still have this ability that when they come to salvation and when their spirit is alive, again, as God intended it 
to be from the beginning of time, they will unlock something in you that you did not know existed because it needed them to unlock that in you. We are members one of another. And so if we are so quick to cast those off because of the way they've treated us, we've lost an ability to understand our fullness and our fullness in Him, who He's created us to be in our entirety. And isn't that exciting? Because there is no way that you will ever meet and encounter six billion people. So for the remainder of your days, for all of your life, you can be unlocked further and further. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians 3.18. We're made for an ever-increasing glory. We're not the same on the next level of glory. There's more glory in us as we elevate to the higher glory of God. We are made for an ever-increasing glory. That means we are ever-increasing. Our understanding of who God has created us to be, our identity is ever-increasing because He is infinite and our identities are simply a piece of Him who is infinite. So how could they, have, how, how could they reach a, a limit of what we'll understand about them? They only have a limit of what we'll understand about them if we are choosing not to be friends to those around us because it is those around us who unlock who we've been fully created to be. But that trap sits and waits. It sits and waits for us to show kindness and then not have kindness shown in return and then be done with that person because they did not show us kindness back as we showed it to them. But they cannot know what they do not know. They cannot be to us who we have just for the first time shown them how they're supposed to be treated. They don't, and they don't know. They don't understand. Why is this person here without me asking? Why is this person loving me for no reason at all? Conversation we just had. How, how, how can this person say that my past can be forgotten and I can live free from it? How can this person say that? What do they know that I don't know? They still don't know what they don't know in that moment. The question started, the door is opening, but they still don't know. It's important for us to recognize that. The thing is, is we're not doing this. We're not doing this of our own accord and what we think is a good idea. Where hindrance comes in is, I think this person needs this because that's the need that I can see. That's, that's where hindering comes in. Someone can't pay their bill. It's the obvious fix. Pay it for them. Maybe this person has a drug problem, and that's why they can't pay their bill. How do I know that unless the Spirit of God tells me that? And that's the beautiful thing about this. It is really so easy. If we just let Him lead, if we live, Galatians 5, 27, if we live in Spirit and in step with the Spirit, this is a very easy process. It's very easy to be a friend to these people because you will be a friend to them exactly how the Spirit of God needs you to be a friend to them. But there has to be a yes in our hearts first. There has to be a choice that we make on a daily basis of yes, I will be a friend to the people of this community as Jesus was first a friend to me. 
I mean, because I can look at my life. I can, I can recount how long I went without being saved. And he died for those days, knowing the wrong I would do. He died for those days so that I could live in these days. But knowing how I would sin against him, he chose to be a friend to Parker, that Parker could someday recognize who he is in relation to Creator, who Creator has made him to be, and the life he has anointed him to have. That doesn't happen if Jesus didn't die for those first days where I would actively sin against him. He chose to be my friend in those days. It's easy for him to call me a friend now because he is my friend and I pursue him and I love him because I know him. But he chose to call me friend before. And that's really where I felt it. That's really where I knew it. But I still went years, years without realizing it. And they'll do the same. And that's okay. Because we've not been called to be a friend to our community and be treated well. We've been called to be a friend to our community as Jesus was a friend to us. We've been called to be vessels of kindness and establish the kindness of God in places that have not known it. Period. But the beautiful thing about this, this is the really exciting part, is that we have each other. Up until this point in this, in this sermon, it sounded like you're kind of on your own in this. And we can really quickly think about that. You know, I was going through some stuff dealing with this personally, as I told you. And then my dear friend, Zach, um, who I met, I, I had known him, but I met him, like really met Zach Stevens when we were going to Africa. And we thought we were going to Africa by ourselves. Because the, the, the rest of the team was having a hard time. Me and Zach just kind of snuck under the radar and made it through. And we, we were okay with that. And we were going to stop in London. We were going to stay at my grandma's house. And we were going to kick it over in Kenya for a little while. And we were just going to figure it out. We were going to do it on our own. But during that trip, I found someone that was choosing to be my friend as I was choosing to be his regardless of circumstance, regardless of what we would go through. He was going to choose to be my friend. And it's still true to this day. And I can tell you, I have, and I can't really put a number on it, but there are very few people in my life today <clears throat> that I can count on them to choose to be my friend. And that they can count to choose on me to be theirs. But the beautiful thing about it, and that, that happened this Sunday, is Zach just came to this realization. He's like, dude, we've, we've, the Lord has told me that I am to be your friend, and I am to. And so he started texting me every morning. What, what is on your shoulders? What woke you up? What church business are you, are you worried about? What spiritual stuff are you looking at and worried about? What are the joys? What are the pains so that I can intercede and stand in the gap. Okay, he chose to be my friend. And so now, when everyone else out there doesn't choose to be my friend, as I've chosen to be theirs, it don't really sting. Because I know I've got this one. And that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. Those that are in Christ Jesus right now, this house, we are to be that for one another. And if we can be that for one another, that we can count on one another to choose to be each other's friends, 
what would it look like when we live out there? It doesn't matter how they treat us because we know we have each other and we are in this with one another. And it makes it so much simpler. So, so, so simple to just be mistreated. And Yeah. But Jesus was mistreated up to the point of death. So if we're just getting talked bad about behind our backs or we're not getting told thank you, it's okay because you're not getting stoned to death or hung on a cross. I love the story of Stephen. Jay said it before, but I, I think Stephen is one of the, the greatest unsung heroes of the Bible because he taught us so much in his short period in the Bible. But the joy that I find in Stephen's story is that to the point of death, his joy was in the Lord. And he knew that Jesus, that the Father in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he was their friend and they were his. And he knew that to where he was getting rocks hurled at him, but he's still just fixed on Jesus. It says he was fixed and smiling as he was being stoned to death. Unaffected. Because of this friend that he had in Jesus. And that's what we get to be for one another. We get to be that friend. We get to be that one that chooses to be a friend to one another. And that makes what we have to do in this season, what the Lord has called us to do in this season, so much simpler. So much simpler. We live in days that are no longer gray. There's light and there's dark. There's life and there's death. And we know that. I'm grateful for that because it makes ministering a lot easier. You know what you're getting into when you're getting into it. There's no mystery about things anymore. Praise God. But in that, we know who we have to be for one another. That has to be true. You know, I reference Acts 2, 42 through 47 very often as that's the first glimpse that we have at this church with the Holy Spirit. You know, the first glimpse that we have of what life is meant to look like after Jesus, what Jesus died for. What did he die for? He died for this life that we get to have now, walking in unity with the Spirit of God with multiple people, thousands of people living in unity together. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that. We're seeing that here. You know, we talked about the word purpose on Sunday, and I was talking to Zach about it after church, and then my son comes in and hands me this painted red cross, paint all over his hands. He gives me this cross, and right on the top, biggest word up there is purpose. And Deb was saying that word stuck out to her, and she knew we are supposed to talk about that. And so that's what they talked about. Like, what in the world? Like, the Lord is just connecting. There is unity in spirit. And so we're seeing... This early church, we're seeing what that's meant to look like when we operate in unity of spirit. But one of the things that I desire for us as a, as a body, as a house, as this house in sundown, I desire for us to break bread together. I desire for that to happen. And a lot of us do that in smaller groups, and that's really good. But I desire for this house to regularly come together to break bread. I'm still working on that, and it's kind of not the easiest thing in the time we find ourselves in, but... There's something that happens when we give ourselves the avenue 
to be together more than twice a week. That gives us the opportunity when we live daily with one another. Imagine now the effectiveness of the kindness, the effectiveness of us choosing to be a friend because we know that we don't have to go very long until we're around friends. We know we don't have to go very long until we're around people that see us as God sees us. And that's important because we are in days that are light and dark. And the darkness knows that. It's a wounded animal at this point. So it's even, it's even more aggressive than it was before because now it is not hidden. It is not getting to slip under the radar. Now it is very much seen. The spotlight is on it. But he's not just going to freeze and stop. He's moving more aggressively now, as we've seen in the story that I shared on Sunday. Moving much more aggressively. I'm not going to implant a lie in this child. I'm just going to kill him. Physically, I want them gone. I don't want them to ever live long enough to encounter who God has called them to be. That, that's what we're seeing now. So it's so important for us as the body of Christ to unite together to be friends to one another so that we can be friends as God has called us to be to the community around us. Questions? Comments? Concerns? Better not be any concerns. I want to read 1 John 4, 7 real quick in closing. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That presents a complicated question of what happens in moments when you choose not to love. If you are born of God, you love. What happens in moments when we choose not to love? It's very simple. We choose to leave the will of God. For me, it presented a, one of those moments where you just feel like your breath goes away because you're recognizing the gravity of what you're choosing in those moments. That I would let something so petty as a lack of a thank you or a lack of appreciation divide me from someone and me not show love towards them. Saying you chose to step out of my will in that moment. It's like, whoo, can't do that. That's not good. Can't do that. But it's very easy for us to choose that, to choose to open the gate and leave the backyard. We've got to recognize that. And that was the, that's what the Lord was doing to me. He's like, you've got to recognize that. You've got to recognize how the enemy would do that and how he would open that door for you so that you could very easily and very quickly step out of the will of God. Because that's not, that's not what Jesus does for us. It's not ever what He did. He held up truth, and then He held up us. Even in His correction of the Pharisees, He never said, no, you're wrong. He would tell them what truth is, and He would tell them how they're living their life. Even We were having a conversation today. We're getting to do... Um, Deb had a vision... Lord woke her up two nights ago with this vision of us, uh, not just us, but the community praying for our school, walking around it, praying over it. Cause, I mean, I'll say this over and over again. They are, 
the decisions that they are having to make are unprecedented. And you got to think that they answer to a higher power in the state of Texas. So even what they believe is what they're supposed to do and is in the best interest of their kids could go against what that higher power says is in the best interest of this community they don't know. I guarantee the commissioner of the Texas Board of Education could not find Sundown. Probably never heard of it. But he is dictating what is best for this community and their education. And then these guys are having to make decisions and structure things differently within that regulation. Yeah. And it's not like, hey, we told you to do this and you guys didn't. Watch out. It's like, hey, you're fired and we're going to stop funding your school. So it's not like, they're not, they don't get to make easy decisions. There are no easy decisions anymore. And my conversation with Scott today was that they will find us, whether we agree or disagree, they will find us standing behind them, no matter what. And so this vision came to Deb of us walking around, praying over the school as a community, not just as a church, as a community, as a song, the blessing is playing. And in our conversation about this vision, made it very clear that it is important for us to not come to a point where they think we're pointing out what is right or what is wrong in our eyes. But to just simply be truth before them and pray truth into that place and, and to pray truth over them. Because the perspective changes and right and wrong changes with it. If you start wearing the pants of the president of the board over there and looking at it in his shoes... Right and wrong changes very quickly. They have information we do not have. And it, but it's vice versa for them. They know that. They know that if they step into the, to the parent's shoes that they're looking at it in a, in a different light. And they're seeing things that they're going to have an issue with. They recognize that. But it's not up to us to point out right and wrong it's up to us to be a friend and choose to be a friend and be the kindness of God to them that they would look to us with hope. That's what it is. And we do that by just simply being truth. And how do you be truth? You just live as Jesus lived. You be Jesus to them and towards them. How do we do that? We choose to be a friend. We choose to be a vessel for kindness where we see a need for kindness. It's that, it's that easy. It's that simple. But I love that lesson from Randy. I love that perspective, that, that correcting perspective of right and wrong cannot exist in the body of Christ. There's only truth. And Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect truth. Jesus is truth. He's the creator of it. I'm going to look to him. The way he's doing it, I'm going to do it that way. It's that simple. And then it removes us in a lot of ways from things that people have issues with the church being involved in. I can't stand when pastors get political. Like you realize you've just alienated a lot of people that need to hear the truth of Jesus because you're taking a stand and your life is not your own. You don't get to take a stand. You get to stand in the gap 
you get to stand as a vessel for truth, you don't get to stand on a platform and be political. God created government last at the request of his people, and he warned them against it. He created, he created relationship with him first. So, anyways. Well, amen. I just, I, my prayer is that we are, a, and I've, I've dealt with this a lot, but that we are a house that has no expectation for those around us. That I would minister to someone and I would not have an expectation over them suddenly begin to form. It's very easy to form expectations over people around you. Very easy. That's different for us. I see truth and you know truth. I expect you to recognize that truth. And the beautiful thing is, is I can call you out on it. And you can call me out on it. Saying, hey man, this is truth. This is you. What's going on here? Why is this missing? You know, Zach did that for me today. He said he, this is the first time he's had to pull over to the side of the road to type a message. So I was like, oh man, <laughs> I'm about to get a butt chewing via text. And that's what I got. It was wonderful. You, you are not, and what, just what he said is you, you are not qualified by the way people view you. That is not your qualification. But even still today, knowing the word the Lord was bringing, I was recognizing, man, it's still trying to get in. I'm still trying to set expectations over people and how they should treat me or how they should view me or how they should interact with me because I've done all this for them. Nope. It's not how it is. It's not who the Lord has called us to be. He's called us to be friends, period to not set expectations over those that we have chosen to be friends. The Good Samaritan did not set an expectation of that man paying him back. He didn't do it. His expectation was, I will take care of this man. And it was over himself. I will be a friend to this man that no one would be a friend to. To the point where he would leave and come back and pay whatever else he owed. And that's important for us to recognize. And that's the guideline that, that the Lord has given us. That's the truth that he has shown us for our life each and every day in the way that we're called to live. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.